This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Welcome, my friends. Today, we have a special guest with a first-generation immigrant from the Ukraine who got into digital marketing out of necessity as a result of the crisis in 2008. And then he fell in love with it. He founded the Nova Zora Digital in 2012, and he's also the host of the Digital Savage Experience podcast, and that is one of the top 100 shows on Apple Podcasts. It actually was top 40 on How To in in the U.S. Uh, just last week. We have Roman Prokopchuk. Is that Thank it, Roman? For, yeah, it's, that's good enough. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How's it going? Good. I appreciate you having me on. So you... Your first generation uh, immigrant from the Ukraine, how old were you when you moved over? I came here when I was five in uh, 1990, so the Ukraine was still under the Soviet Union. So to get here, I had to go through Vienna, Austria, then Rome, Italy, and Mm -hmm. then here. It was kind of the path back then coming from Eastern Europe because it was two years before Ukraine got its independence and kind of the Soviet Union fell apart. Uh, I came here with six other family members, my grandparents, my mom, and my dad my brother and my aunt to a two-bedroom apartment. Nobody knew English, and it was kind of uh, figure it out and, you know, fend for yourselves. Was it, or do you remember, because you were five, was it hard uh, being because it was still part of the Soviet Union, like you said? Was it hard? Was there a suspicion of things happening and, or no, just completely normal to you as a kid? Well, first, as a, in the uh, in Ukraine, when I lived there, um, yeah, I was there. I left exactly when I like turned uh, five, and before turning six, I got here. So it, there was stuff. I mean, um, in terms of waiting in line for a certain amount of like food, like in a bread line for like <laughs> having food distributed. I remember that waiting with my mom. Um, there were people like obviously I, I wasn't paying attention as a four year old, but there was like the KGB. They would follow you r- around. Uh, there was religious persecution. That's kind of one of the reasons we came here as a distinction because we went to church. We believed in God. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my parents got certain things kind of removed. My mom actually had the highest uh, grade point average and stuff graduating high school. And they took that away from her because, you know, she went to church. Wow. So they didn't let her have that. And uh, I mean, it's a very it was a very corrupt system. I mean, the government's still corrupt as currently it is. But um, in terms of what I remember, I mean, uh, you know, hot water being shut off at night. So it was, it was uncomfortable. But me growing up as a child, I was used to it. So it wasn't like, you know, out of place or out of mind for me. Yeah. So it's kind of like your default setting because you grow into it. Yeah. And so out of necessity in 2000, you, you were hit by the recession in 2008. Yep. So it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I graduated college uh, in 2007, 2008. Right before I graduated, I was actually a criminal justice major. And I had a internship with the Secret Service on the counterfeit currency squad. And uh, I had a top secret um, federal clearance that took me six months to get for an internship. And uh, I was going to go the uh, law enforcement route. And uh, when 2008 hit, state, local and federal agencies in the United States froze you know, spending and hiring. So then I was looking for months. I couldn't find anything. I got down a little depressed. And then the only thing I really did to kind of stay sane is uh, work out and go to the gym to kind of clear my mind. And I uh, met a friend and he saw that that situation I was in, 
And he said, you know, come out to my car. Let me show you something, which was a little sketchy. Yeah. But uh, he opened his trunk and it was actually a printout, a packet, about like 50 pages about search engine optimization. And he said, read this, go online, uh, take a month or two, brush up on it, and you can do this. We need somebody to do, you know, digital marketing, specifically SEO for my company. And that's where I started. And uh, 11 years later, I'm uh, here. I've had several director roles, founded Nova Zora Digital in 2012 worked on about 600 campaigns at this point, managed teams, and kind of uh, got that start out of necessity. I, I did, you know, fall in love with it. So, you know, doing something for 11 years that you hate would kind of suck. But uh, I like the industry and the line of work, and uh, I've been running with it ever since. Man, oh man, I want to I talk more about that SEO part and how uh, your friend asked you to come over and check out an SEO book out of it, almost as if it was a deal happening there. Yeah, like sketchy. Uh. Yeah, but. Um, Secret Service, how do you intern for the Secret Service? So I got it through my university. Um, I had to go for a um, interview in the office and then they assign a agent to basically do a background check. They have to look into your criminal record. If you have anything internationally, actually look at who you are as a person, uh, your character. I had to get a recommendation letter from my pastor. They went to my friends and asked questions like, is he in any like paramilitary groups, militias? Is he anything groups in terms of against the government or has any radical thoughts or beliefs? And uh, that whole process took about six months. And then I had literally an active top secret uh, federal clearance that expired when I finished my internship. Hmm. Um, I was an intern on the counterfeit currency squad. So as interns, we would process and document counterfeit bills that would come in because the Secret Service has two roles. They're responsible for protection duties of the president and other dignitaries. And then also uh, they investigate counterfeit crimes for the uh, Federal Reserve and uh, that side. So not everybody knows they have that function, but it's something they do. And it's funny, they had the interns check the mail for like bombs and suspicious right. devices, which was funny in my opinion, because we were kind of expendable in that sense. Oh man, that was kind of like back in the day before the king had a meal you would have somebody try it to see if it was poisoned. So you, you were the guinea pigs. That's so funny. Yeah, so uh, Nova Zora Digital in 2012. Uh, right about now, we're in 2020. It is is very easy, very normal for somebody to start a digital agency because everybody has a course out there teaching how to start it. And Tylope is, you know, has a huge audience where he tells people to go ahead and start them. But in 2012, it wasn't like that. So you actually had to either be thinking out of the box or had some involvement with it, right? Was that a, a good opportunity being kind of starting ahead of everybody else? Not everybody, but I mean, you know what I mean? Yep. So, I mean, at that point I've been, I was doing digital marketing for about four years. So I, you know, had a background. I knew I enjoyed the line of work. And at that point I've worked with a lot of people within the industry and all those people either went to different roles. They were in the same roles. They were freelancers now or started their own thing. And the amount of knowledge I got and my skill set, I saw people starting things and having their own clients. And I thought to myself, I'm no you know, worse than these people in terms of my knowledge and my experience that I have that I can do the same thing. And basically a good foundation was I already had the pedigree because now, like you said, people read a course and they're an expert. Mm-hmm. Well, they're an expert in generalizing and reading. They're not in the trenches. They haven't worked on hundreds of websites or seen things that work that don't work that work before that, you know, may not work and may get you penalties from Google and other search engines. 
and tried things in different things other than uh, search engine optimization. So I pivoted in about 2009 and when social media started growing, learning how you know social media affects uh, the digital marketing ecosystem, how everything is tied. And I didn't want to pigeonhole myself and just be a uh, search engine optimization professional. So I learned organic social media, content strategy, paid social, paid search, analytics, and kind of broaden my skill set so I was more favorable in the market that way. Absolutely. And those are still very valuable skills, although the comparison from what I know from 2012 to 2020, organic skills used to be more common in 2012 than now everybody has paid ads. Everybody has a pay-per-click or even a, you know a sponsored ads on Facebook and everywhere else you can think of. Your organic skills, are they still very valuable today? They're still valuable because that's kind of the core of your foundation. Still the most important kind of pillar of an online brand is your website. So if you want organic traffic and get the right types of visitors to your site, you need a you know solid content strategy. You need to develop a link acquisition, acquisition kind of a strategy where you have uh, uh, related sites linking back to you, building partnerships, doing uh, you know guest opportunities. Um, I have incorporated actually podcasting because podcasting is a great way to get referral traffic. So you're not only on the podcast, but the podcast website has links back to your assets and also links within all those distribution channels in terms of Spotify, um, Apple, uh, Google Podcasts. So I've incorporated that as it evolved. And also twofold, obviously, podcasts are great for PR and branding. So I've incorporated it and infused it in strategies. And as the ecosystem changes, you can add on and basically future-proof it. So just because something doesn't work that it did in 2012, well, there's these Mm -hmm. other things that are now and are future-focused that would benefit you as a brand and uh, you as, uh, as generating organic traffic to your website. Nice. And then since since then, there's going to be there has been lots of updates and, you know, the Google pandas and penguins and all the other animal names that have been out since then. Uh, have you have you suffered uh, personally or some of your clients been deeply affected by one of those changes? I, I my practice, I try to future proof and do as natural of a, you know, a focus as possible. I don't yeah. take like quick roads, but an interesting story. In um, 2010, I went on an interview and uh, basically it was a startup. It was basically like a directory for doctors. So they had millions of listings. They had a paid model where you can like push your listing to the top. And uh, basically it was a startup and they were looking for, you know, somebody doing search engine optimization. The interview was actually six hours and it was before uh, a content a, a panda hit basically. Yeah. And uh, they asked me some question and I was like, all right, what are you going to do to, to combat this? Because you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Like your site is very spammy in that sense. And if something comes out, it, it's going to destroy your site. So basically next week Panda hit and it destroyed their site by like 40% their traffic fell hmm. off. And then they gave me an offer and I was like, I told you this would happen. So I'm, I'm not going to fix this mess because it's millions of pages. So situations like that, thinking about, in the present day, you, you constantly have to think about what's coming around kind of the next corner. And like I said, uh, uh, performing a strategy that's future-proofing your website, your other digital assets, so you don't get penalized in that sense. And it takes oftentimes a lot more time to redo everything. So then you set up and then start to actually move forward rather than have all these things to fix. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got affected by by one. I don't know if it was 2009 or 10, but I got affected by one, and it was because when the, when I first started uh, running that site, and it was my own. It was not a big deal, right? So I didn't think of the future and I did some things that shouldn't have been done. So Google did, does catch you, right? It takes time, but it did, they did penalize me. And at the time, PR rank was still a thing, like the PR rank from one to 10. And I was, okay. uh, I believe a six went down to one again and never ranked after that. <laughs> so yeah, it does pay to do things properly the first time, but doing things properly always take a little bit longer. Isn't that right? It does. I mean, everything takes time. And I think people oftentimes uh, overlook that. And uh, search engine optimization or any other digital marketing effort, they give up too easily. So let's say they do a campaign, like you said, you mentioned uh, LinkedIn sponsored uh, a campaign. So they add only one ad, you know, just focusing on that and that doesn't work. They don't test multiple, you know, ad copy, Mm -hmm. uh, multiple imagery, uh, different video clips. So there's no uh, real data gathered. So just because it didn't work in that one instance for you doesn't mean it doesn't work at all. It just, you may have not structured or uh, focused on the things you should have been focusing on. Yeah, absolutely. So there's something else, Roman, that, that I know about you that is since, since June 2018, you became a, a foster parent. And then since then, you have fostered uh, 14 kids in your home? Yep, since then. So that kind of started. Me, me and my wife have... Uh, been going through a infertility journey for about three years. So we've paid about $80,000 out of pocket for all the treatments and stuff. In that time, we've had five miscarriages and, uh, you know, we're still trying in that sense, but we thought let's, you know, help kids and see maybe because we're, we're uh, designated as foster to adopt. So if we have a mm-hmm. child and uh, they stay with us for a while, we both have a connection and the guardian loses uh, parental rights permanently they come to us first and see if we're willing mm-hmm. to adopt a child. Now, with our first placement, we had two boys. Um, we got them literally, we got licensed May 31st, 2018. They called us June 1st, 2018. They dropped these two boys off. So I was like, figure it out. So we had them for a year. And in that time, we were basically told you would be able to adopt them. So, you know, we got attached to them. They called us mom and dad. You know, we love them. They uh-huh. loved us. And then after a year, the mom got better, which is great. But um, they ended up going back and being reunified with their biological mom after a year. So that that was kind of a hard hit. And we've we've kept doing it. We have a current placement, a little boy and a little girl. And throughout that time, we've had other kids for a shorter amount of times. But yeah, we're up to 14 kids and uh, counting. So that's, I mean, it's great that you're doing that. And at the same time, it's, it's I mean, heartbreaking that after a year, you know, you, I can understand the parent situation. Of course, they want their kids back if they're back on their feet, but it must, it must be a hard hit. So first of all, what is exactly a foster? Yeah. So uh, in, um, in the United States, or at least in the state of New Jersey, like to become a foster parent, it's basically you, you are licensed by the state to have children that have been taken away from their parents um, in different situations. They've either seen, seen something happen to somebody else or something's happened to them, some, some type of trauma or abuse. Mm-hmm. Now, that child could be in basically the system for a week or they can be for, for years and actually stay in the system if nobody adopts them until they age out when they turn 18 they're by themselves. So those kids actually, if they stay in the system and nobody adopts them, they have like a 50% chance of 
ending up, you know, on drugs and gangs, uh, pregnant, being exploited in different ways. Uh, because I mean, they have had a lot of issues and they haven't necessarily had the adequate help. So, and there's different distinctions right now we're foster to adopt. That means we're willing to adopt the, the foster child that we do have in our home. So the longest placement we have had was a year. Our current placement that we have two kids we've had for, uh, about six months and we've had five kids at once. That was the, uh, the most we've had at once. Well. Wow. That's very, very incredible. I actually do know somebody in Canada who uh, was in a similar situation, but by now they have 11 uh, that are their own. They just all stayed and it's uh, it's a crazy, it's a big family, but a really fascinating story. Is there a way that you would be able to, in case, I don't know, you had a kid for four or five years, of course you fall in love with that kid and you become, after four or five years, even less you don't need that much to become like a true parent. Is there any ways you could fight it and say like, this is my kid now? It depends on the state. The it's, mm. um, I have my issues with the whole system, like the, you know, the bureaucracy of different government agencies mm. and how they operate. But in the state of New Jersey, their kind of focus is reunification over anything. Mm-hmm. So I have, I've had conversations where the, the caseworker says, you know, your home is the best situation for this kid. But because of how the system is, we're sending them back. Now, the parent isn't 100% you know, fixed, and they're probably going to end up back in the system. Oh. So my contradiction to that, so you're going to break a kid even more. That means to end up back here, something bad has to happen to them again instead of staying in a good home that maybe give the, the right services to the parent and take a longer amount of time and not push them back into drugs or abuse or whatever the parent or guardian has. So that's like one of my big issues that when I do do interviews on podcasts or other kind of news uh, outlets to uh, be an advocate for the kids and hopefully actually fix a broken system. And is it easy to balance now that personal life with having the kids and, and work? Do you still work long hours or do you even work from home or do you have to go to the office every day? I'm, I mean, I'm fully remote and uh, I mean, a lot of people talk about work-life balance, but it's always, you have to make a sacrifice, either work or family. There's no 50-50. It's not like an even scale yeah. ever. And if somebody tells you it is, then I mean, that that's not, that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. But um, working from home actually is very good because all these kids have emergencies. So they have court dates, they have uh, advocates. So like their lawyer visits, uh, their caseworker has to visit once uh, a week. They have therapy for some of the stuff they're going on. That has to happen. They have other medical professionals. They have, you know, caseworkers and other people. So it's just like a revolving door of things. And uh, I mean, that oftentimes stops a lot of people that want to do it. Maybe they have a long commute or they're in an office that it's almost impossible for them to, you know, dedicate it or dedicate that emergency time to drop everything that they're doing, you know, and rush to, you know, help the kid or whatever's going on in their lives. Yeah, I definitely thought that because I work online, I could definitely be mobile and work from wherever I wanted. I could picture myself on younger years, I would work, be working in Mexico under a coconut tree, right, with my laptop. Uh, although now I know that you could be there, but you would not have Wi-Fi. Uh, that's one of the things. Uh, the other thing is I have kids now and my mobility that actually went away because one of the kids is in school. And everything she knows and is her friends in that school. And there's no way that we can move around, right? And I don't want to go now by myself. So I still, 
I work from home, so I, I get to be with them all the time. But it, it, it is not like you said. It, there is a lot of times that I, I could be home working many hours because I still enjoy what I do. But, uh, I mean, they have to be outside, outside of that door, right, and see them during the breaks. <laughs> so uh, Nova Zora Digital, how big is it now? What size is the team? Uh, well, the model is basically it's it's scaling, and I have people that I know are able to work and have a certain amount of hours. So they may have other projects that they're working on, but they have a dedicated time that they dedicate to me, let's say up to 40 hours a week, up to 20. Mm-hmm. And I have people within different things. So I would, you know, set up the tactical plan, uh, you know, that somebody would sell something, scope it, baseline it, figuring out the contract and moving forward with a project and then activate a team. So the I am remote also, and basically everybody is U.S. based, and then they basically get activated. So you you know this is the project, this is what's dedicated. Do you have that allotment of time? Everybody's vetted, everybody's worked you know on several projects before, and have um, a good uh, you know kind of review of the the amount of work and the quality of work yeah. that they put out, and then basically just monitoring and uh, laying out and uh, developing that tactical plan and managing the pro- uh, project over time. Uh, when you said they get activated, it made me, uh, you know, think of the, the sleeper agent. That's yeah, out it's there. like CIA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You've been reactivated. That's actually a pretty cool term. Uh, Roman, is, is SEO still very powerful today or because paid traffic is a huge thing? Uh, is that number one or is SEO is still number one? It is powerful and it depends how you look at it. Um, with SEO, you control it. You kind of you control your own destiny. Um, it is one of the top traffic sources to you know your website if you develop it correctly, and if then you don't have a you know paid budget because paid is kind of you know pay to play. Your yeah. budget runs out, the traffic stops coming. You know the the business or the sales or the leads stop coming in. So still developing it, but I do agree with you. It is very hard. Google is burying organic uh, results further and further down a page. They're trying to monetize that search engine results page as much as possible and push ads everywhere they can. And now there's a big thing called uh, Google wants to keep you on Google, so position zero. So basically you search for something, mainly it's for informational searches, and you get the answer right away so you don't have to go to a website. But that usually comes from uh, from a source, so they're pulling it from a source. So now optimizing for position zero because they want to keep you there. They want to give you the answer without you going somewhere else. So that's kind of a, something that's developed over the, the last few years for you know, marketers and search engine uh, optimization professionals to kind of optimize for and position with different things like structured data to get you uh, to show up on that you know, knowledge uh, snippet. So if uh, somebody asks a question, and Google wants to keep you there, uh, in my opinion, that's what they want to do, um, your position so your information comes up and they're exposed to you as a brand. Uh, I want to ask you something about that because position zero, first time I heard about that, the thought that came to my mind is if you're searching for something and you get exactly what you wanted to know as position zero, that site is not going to get traffic. From, from you, for example, you did not click on it you didn't visit the site. You got information right there. So does that, do they actually get, is there any sort of analytics that Google gives you if you stopped in like enough time that you did read that information or does it count as traffic zero? 
you personally don't give get the information like obviously they don't provide it in google analytics or provide it to a website owner they're aware of a specific search how somebody interacted with it and they have the data on it and they basically didn't click on anything and just left in yeah. general assuming they got the information they needed but with that position zero it's coming from a website still so you you're fighting for it in terms of you answering that question so that's done on yeah. the back end in terms of highlighting data and uh, structuring it in that sense, but it, they do provide a hyperlink uh, usually within that uh, mm -hmm. snippet, and uh, you do have the option to still go to it. So you are presented as the first thing before even one, but and then that that specific uh, zero listing takes up the most pixels also. So that's what your eye catches first, and that's what you're technically likely to click on, even if yeah. you get your answer to get further information. Yeah, because uh, I personally have done searches and I get that snippet of information and because it answers what I wanted to know, now, okay, I can exit and I'm done. I wonder how Quora feels about that since they're the most uh, asked, uh, the site that has the most questions, I guess. If all their answers start showing up on Google, I wonder how they feel about that. Yeah, I haven't tested. Uh, that's actually a good point. I have to look into that and in terms of uh, how many... Uh, you know, position zeros for specific questions come up for uh, Quora. I mean, I've done, I've used Quora as a traffic source to drive to informational content and uh, they're relatively cheap. I mean, you can get um, per click under a dollar, sometimes obviously even less mm -hmm. for pennies on a dollar. So finding opportunities for, uh, for paid search that way as well. Um, directly, like if you can get to position zero, figure out ways of how you can still be visible, like people actually going to Quora because that Quora brand has developed over time as, you know, a place to get your questions answered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they actually, they have an incredible feature that they pay now for certain people that, that they invited to, to a group, they pay you for asking questions. So if your question has lots of views, lots of answers, they actually pay you a few cents per, per visitor or something like that. And I know I was invited for that, so I, I said, yes, I accept it. And although I don't ask many questions, uh, I noticed the other day that I had like 80 cents already. <laughs> there you so, go. There you go. Uh, did you use that uh, organically? Uh, is Cora talking about Cora still, is that powerful to use organically as someone that is providing value answering somebody else? I mean, I think uh, somebody looking to build their brand and having, uh, if somebody has a specific knowledge set, but the world doesn't know it, I think yeah. it's important to share it everywhere you can because the people that are doing a better job marketing are getting the clients and getting the exposure and they may not know as much as you do. So Quora is definitely a place where you can utilize that and build your brand and answer a lot of thought-provoking questions because Quora has a lot of like common sense, you know, questions asked too. Mm -hmm. But if it's something, if you're in some crazy, like, I don't know, nuclear physicist or some kind of crazy, uh, can you figure out this equation to solve so-and-so uh, in this whatever, and you have that information, that's very uh, niche. So people are looking for it and uh, you building your brand using Quora, incorporating things like LinkedIn, LinkedIn groups and other platforms, Reddit is good as well. Um, you can really build your brand organically really quickly. Mm. So uh, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, it used to be Facebook was like number one in social media for, for many different reasons. Uh, we know now like B2B LinkedIn is probably on 
probably number one. If if not, it's definitely on the top. Uh, is Facebook still as powerful as it used to be uh, for you know uh, maybe B to C? Let's call it that. Well, Facebook ads, yes, obviously. I mean, Facebook organic reach was destroyed, yeah. so it's I mean basically pay to play. But it's one of those things when a, uh, another platform develops, it's like the wild west. So right now it's TikTok. You're, there's no uncapped organic reach because they want to get as many creators on there as possible for them to create as much content as possible and then have a, a better platform to charge advertisers more for when they start expanding on their, their pay model for that platform. So obviously TikTok was musically and then they got bought. Now it's TikTok. Um, I think TikTok will destroy um, Instagram. I see a lot of Instagram influencers moving over to TikTok building a TikTok community and then funneling them back. Usually they're YouTubers too, funneling traffic back to get exposure back to their uh, YouTube channels and then get them to subscribe to their email list so they can truly capture those users and really take them away from the platform so they're in control of kind of their own destiny. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that as well. And I had two thoughts about it. Either TikTok is, like you said, going to destroy Instagram or Facebook may just try to purchase them as well. Yeah, I, I don't know how likely the current owner of TikTok would be to sell. I mean, it's a Chinese-owned company right now, uh, which I've experienced. Their privacy settings are really crazy. So I got into TikTok. So I, TikTok connects well with like a female demo. So I'd like to share that, you know, I'm a foster parent and kind of the good stories of foster parenting because mm -hmm. oftentimes in the news you hear like kids being abused in foster homes and stuff. So I try to show how, you know, we treat kids, things we do with the kids. So I think the third video I posted uh, got like 26,000 views, 4,000 likes, like 500 comments. And uh, the next video I posted, TikTok banned. It was almost the same format and they basically banned me for a week. Um, and they have kind of different privacy policies. The, the issue with that also is they have a very young demographic that they started with. So they have like teens, mm -hmm. uh, kids that are 10, 11, and they're looking out for the safety because, I mean, TikTok, yes, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a place for like predators to target kids too if they really wanted to. Mm. So I think they're trying to crack down by, about that, but uh, their personal review, so you can report somebody. So if I report you several times, they're going to take down your video and then investigate it. And then if they get a different reviewer, not every reviewer is going to like ban something. It's, I mean, it's a manual review. So I don't know what their kind of universal policy for reviews are, but that's kind of what I've experienced with, with the privacy itself from a Chinese home company versus, you know, Facebook and uh, Facebook having Instagram and WhatsApp in terms of what you're able to do and the kind of uh, content you're able to share. Mm -hmm. So what are your plans for the future, Roman? What do you have now down the pipeline? Uh, well, I have three months of content in queue for my podcast. Um, I hope to build the brand of that more and have it as a platform for people to kind of share their stories and expand that. Um, hopefully, uh, become more of an advocate, obviously, like I said, for you know the foster care system and uh, because there's 700,000 kids in the U.S. in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. So do the math, 700,000, there's not enough good homes for those 700,000 kids. So become an advocate and talk about that. And uh, I've been trying to give as much free information as possible about digital marketing. I try to answer as many questions as possible without really asking for anything in return and just kind of adding value to every conversation I've had because I think that's more powerful than simply just pushing or selling somebody or emailing somebody on LinkedIn, hey, 
I have this business, I can do so-and-so for you for, you know, $5,000 a month. Mm -hmm. It's very inauthentic. I mean, certain times people have ulterior motives, but I think if you add value and trying to be as, you know, sincere and genuine as possible, eventually that kind of trickles down. Very good. You know, it's, it's shocking that the numbers that are over 800,000 kids uh, that are foster kids out there. There's also, um, there's over 2 million, uh, kids that are, uh, this is worldwide, of course, not just in the U.S., but are uh, sex slaves. And just uh, this past uh, December, I joined a U.S. operation of ex-CIA's FBI's, and it's called the Operation Underground Railroad, which they're trying to save, uh, you know, kids, and they've done thousands that they've rescued from this. And it was uh, some of the top 40 something Amazon sellers in in the US that got together and everybody was creating a, a nugget and basically would we do a four or five minute video for the 12 days of nuggets and we're trying to generate a million dollars for the operation underground railroad and it, it turned out to be so good that those 12 days of nuggets are still going we're in January and it's still going so it was a very good that you know, a good feeling to know that you could save some of those kids. So, uh, well, congratulations to you. And, uh, I mean, all the luck too, because they, they need it, right? It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they're kids. And if you think about it, if you don't impact them or try to add some kind of value in terms of giving them the role model, then don't complain in 10, 20 years when they become, you know, non-productive members of society. If you don't show them that there are things that they can aspire to, or there's, you know, they can reach their goals and there's somebody that actually cares or somebody that's just there that will listen, they may not end up, you know, in prison or, you know, dying of an overdose or, you know, catching some disease. So, I mean, you have to think about it that way too. If they're the next generation and you're doing nothing, to impact them or mold them to, you know, make the, you know, future better, you're going to end up with all these problems in the future that we still have today. So. Definitely. Most of the problems that, or the things that they get into were caused by our uh, society, right? It's not that their age, not their generation. It was our generation that created most of the problems that they're going to go through. Right. And uh, starting with, the parents and the people that they're even the TV. It's man. I don't know, but we'll, we'll try, you know, one here, one there. Uh, we'll try to do our part to get, make it a better world. And I see you're doing yours, Roman. So congratulations, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. So where can everybody find you and where can they find uh, Nora Nova, Nova Zora digital. I always get confused. Nora Zora. Yeah, Nova Zora in Ukrainian literally translated. Obviously, it's a Cyrillic alphabet, so it's spelled differently. It means new star. Uh, translates to new star digital. Um, you can go to novazoradigital.com uh, informa- about information about the company. My podcast is The Digital Savage Experience. Find that on any major podcast platform. And then uh, if you are on LinkedIn, just search for my first and last name. Or any, if you search for my first and last name, I'm on, I'm on every social platform. So where I see a message, I'll usually respond to it within 24 hours. If you have a question, digital marketing related, I won't charge you anything. Try to <laughs> steer you in the right direction at least. And uh, if you have any questions about you know, foster care in the US or anything else that you know, I'm involved with, feel free to reach out. There you go. 
I am subscribed to the Digital Savage Experience. And uh, so you guys should check it out. Subscribe as well. Leave my review. And at the same time, you can check out the show notes for this podcast where I'll have all of Roman's uh, information there. So if you're running on a treadmill uh, like you should right now or driving, uh, you know where to find the show notes. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And Roman, it was a pleasure having you here. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.